pretty much every week. Uh, I don't think it's any secret anymore. No matter where we're at in the scriptures, it's really the same message. It has to be. It has to be. It's about Jesus Christ, and it's about what he did on our behalf that we could never do for ourselves. And then he just gives it to us to be received by faith. It's just trusting. But no matter what you brought in here this morning, I'm telling you, what you're looking for, what you need, you just got to come to the cross again. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Um, Truly, Lord, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus because of the cross, because of what he did. Please help us to receive all of it today, especially the things that will be highlighted in this portion of Scripture that we will specifically look at in Romans 13. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Yeah, grab your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 13. We'll just be looking at a few verses today, verses 8 through 14. Um, just want to say, as you're turning there and before I read here, uh, I want to say thank you to many of you who went to the website last week or a few of you gave me a call and uh, did the specific assignment that I gave you to um, fill out one of those little uh, digital cards on the website or to let us know just some way that, um, just an idea you had about how we could possibly be a blessing to the world around us. Um, have just got a lot of good stuff from that. Uh, I, we will be following up with every one of you, so just, so just know that. Um, or all those of you who, who filled, took the time to fill one of those out, we will, we will be following up with you and, and trying to pursue those ideas and just listening to how we can do that. Um, but man, I'm, I'm just amazed by God's word and uh, just how really helpful it is. And this morning, again, is just a very another helpful portion of scripture that really uh, fleshes out the gospel into the way that we live. Let's read it together. Romans 13, starting in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and in sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Pray with me one more time. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Open the eyes of our heart by the power of your spirit that we might see wonderful things from it and that we might be transformed. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If I'm super honest with you, as we were getting ready to go, or I obviously knew we were gonna be going through the book of Romans this year, um, I was most excited about chapters one through 11, okay? Uh, and then, you know, the beginning of 12 was 
the first two verses were cool, you know, because a lot of us have those memorized. We know them. Um, there's some good stuff in there. But then I, I wasn't, if I'm really honest, like I wasn't as pumped to go through the rest of the book. And, uh, and the Lord, week by week, as we have been going through this portion of the letter, is both rebuking me and changing me and making me very excited about it uh, because I see in a fresh way how the gospel is just to ooze out into absolutely every single area of our life, our, our lives, my life, and I see how I have stopped that many times. There are so many areas of my life where I have not allowed the gospel to ooze out um, into every relationship and into every area, uh, and, I, and it's probably because I have neglected this portion of scripture in many, in many ways, um, and I'm just... And I'm just thankful, just on a, on a personal level, for the specificity of God's word. It is the commandments that he gives us in this practical portion of the letter are broad enough that they apply to almost every situation, and yet specific enough that it doesn't allow us to kind of get away from it, or to wiggle out of it, or to make excuses. It really presses on some very specific things, and I, I was thinking about this, and um, most of you guys know the story about how several years ago I fell and broke my neck. And, and after I broke my neck for about six months, I had this constant tingling in my thumb. It's like when you bump your funny bone and that weird feeling shoots down. And I just had that in, in my hand. And so my thumb was weak, and I would go to pick things up sometimes, and I just wouldn't, like I was, my brain was telling my hand to do it, but my thumb, because there was a little bit of a lack of feeling in it, and it felt kind of funny, it just wouldn't always, always do it right. And I was just thinking about that just in regards to the, the letter of the book of Romans is that so much of, of what is laid out in chapters 1 through 11 in regards to doctrinal truth is that, and again, this is kind of a Captain Obvious type of observation again, but the Bible just doesn't assume that we'll just do what's kind of implied by that. Paul takes the time, and these, this portion of the letter is just as inspired as the first half, and he's spelling out for us very specifically what he wants us to do, what he wants us to pick up. But sometimes there's a brokenness in our body where it kind of like, it's kind of like me trying to grab something with my weird thumb at that time. Um, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't always work. And so we press into it again uh, to, to bring it about um, that, again, the gospel might ooze out into every single area of our lives. Three kind of movements through the passage today. Um, we're going to look at love as a debt, the fact that nighttime is over, and that light is our armor. Love as a debt, nighttime is over, and light is our armor. Now again, I've been doing this every week, but I, I just, I don't want to assume it, but I, because there really is a pattern here, is that Paul, with those three ideas of love as a debt, nighttime is over, and light is our armor, those are just some broad statements that we'll unpack in regards to how he wants us to think differently, that we might be transformed. Because again, going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we'll just kind of walk through these. They're not, they're not separate ideas. They overlap, and we'll walk through them, and I'll kind of show you how they connect together. Uh, and again, that each one of us would just have eyes right now and just an, an attitude and intention that would be willing to listen to the Word of God and examine our own lives, um, that again, the gospel might come out uh, into every uh, aspect of our lives. First of all, love is a debt. Love as a debt. Verse 8. <clears throat> this is interesting. 
Owe no one anything except to love one another. The NIV, I believe, says uh, no owe one anything except the continuing debt to love one another. That kind of captures the sense of it. That's not, it's a little bit overstated. Um, it most literally is just how the ESV has it here. Owe no one anything except or only to love one another. And Paul does seem to be kind of pulling in this idea that love is somehow a debt, which is an interesting thing. So if you, this is, and this is really the idea that ties it back into the context from last week. So last week, again, we, we, we ended on kind of this very, this very clear, yet in some ways maybe anticlimactic, yet it really is important and inspired um, point that uh, as Christians we're to pay our taxes. And so going back to verse 7, that, that's where he starts with this idea of debt. And he says, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. But now he begins to move in to kind of another thought here, yet linking it together uh, with that section from last week. But he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. In what sense is love a debt? In what sense is, is, is love a debt? Because I think on the one hand, we don't really like that thought and we don't really like that language because then it feels like some sort of an obligation. You know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to do uh, love with, with joy. But here's the key that I want you uh, uh, to get from this. Have you ever, um, has anybody ever done something for you and then you've said the little phrase, I owe you one? Anybody? Yeah. And what we're, what we're saying there is they have done something for us. They have loved us. And so we're saying we want to love them back. And again, it's not wrong to say that. It's just kind of a little cliche in our culture, something, a little phrase that we say. But the thing that you, you got to get here, if we're going to understand this idea of, of love as a debt in the way that the Bible intends, is we do not owe people a debt of love because of what they have done for us. We owe them a debt of love because of what Christ has done for us. Make sense? Do you, do you see how this is a gospel motivation and, and how the other one is like a legalistic works type of, type of motivation? It's that because of what Christ has done, he, we are indebted to him, amen, <laughs> to, what, to what he's done for us. But he, he does not want us to pay him back. That, in fact, that's legalism. That's the law. It, the gospel is he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and so he gives us this righteousness is primarily the way Paul puts it in, in the book of Romans. But he says, I want you to know that because of what I've done for you, you now owe a debt not to me. We're freely accepted by faith in the beloved. But he says, I want you to love other people. And dear friends, we never pay that off. We never, ever, ever pay that off. There's a very real sense, and obviously in regards to, what, um, to this context and, and viewing debt, or in, in viewing love as a debt in which every single believer is to die in debt. <laughs> it's a debt that never gets, that never gets paid off um, because of what Christ has, do, has done for us. And so we don't, we don't make excuses. Again, Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves out of the overflow of all that he has done for us. We are to love others well. And then he, he goes into this idea of the love be, of love being the fulfillment of the law, and this is not the first time he's done this in the book of Romans, so it'll sound somewhat familiar to you. He says, "For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, 
for the commandments, and he, he essentially quotes from what's called like the, the second table of the commandments, so the, like the, the second tablet that are on the, the horizontal commands. So the first half of the Ten Commandments are the vertical commands with God. He's pointing here to the horizontal commands towards one another, but you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, don't steal, don't covet. But any other commandment, he says as well, is summed up in this one word, love your neighbor as, as yourself. And he's trying to get us, again, to think differently about love, because again, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And one of the things, one of the kind of the switches that I think he's trying to flip here is not just to view love as this thing that we do. It's, it's no longer a list. It is opportunity and a motivation that is set before us every single day of our lives. And when we understand the gospel, and when we understand that we're indebted not just to love each other, but to even love our enemies, it, it opens up opportunities for us that help, helps us to see. It's kind of, the, the law is kind of, had a blinding effect to it. If you, I mean, obviously every week we see buggies going down the road. Amen. God bless the buggies. Just bless them as you go around them. Um, but these horses, they got blinders on their eyes, right? And it's like this. And they're just, and why? Because they want them just to look straight ahead, to stay focused. And again, you could use that illustration in a lot of different ways. But in, in this case, what I'm talking about, like the law keeps us blind, to some of the things that are going on around us. And it's very much centered on our performance. And in Christ Jesus, when we understand that it's all about love, those blinders come off and we see new opportunities. It's, let, let me try a slightly different illustration that might help. Is um, With new drivers a lot of times, anybody working on getting their license in here? Any 15, 16 year olds? Yes. <laughs> You're not old enough to reach the pedal down there. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but at some point, here's, here's, a very, here's a very common thing for, for, new, for new drivers, is instead of kind of looking out, and again, you don't want to look past what's going on, but what they'll tend to do sometimes is look right in front of them. Okay, they look like right, what, what's right in front of the car, and what happens is they begin to swerve and to, and to kind of go back and forth rather than looking out in front and just staying a little bit more straight and in the center of the, of the white and the yellow. But what's happening is they're looking just right in front of them and they're very focused on their performance, on keeping it straight. But what has to happen is actually you need to look up. Yes, see what's in front of you, but also see everything else as well and center yourself to the context in which you're in. And what he's saying here, again, if I, I, hopefully this makes sense, is that when we understand the gospel motivation and Christ's love for us as the motivator and the key and, and to loving other people and to why he, he talks about it as a debt to them here because of what Christ, because of what Christ has done. It, it, it helps us to see everything. And dear brother, sister, it's the same thing we talked about last week and that many of you, you know, filled out the little cards and did the practical little assignment I gave you. But there are opportunities in front of us every single day to love people and not just a few. It's not just a list. Well, I got these, you know, Four or five things. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, uh, don't commit adultery. Okay, I've loved all. No, 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 no. There's so much more than that. And when we understand um, that love is the fulfillment of the gospel, it takes these blinders off and it helps us to see. And legalism or a law perspective or the law as a lens through which we view the world, it is always going to keep us 
from loving people in the way that Christ intended. In John chapter 4, very famous story, Jesus with the woman at the well, you know the story. He goes to her, he meets her, the disciples had gone into town um, to, buy, to buy some food, and you know, he really speaks into her life because, uh, you know, he's, a, he's also a prophet. And he's speaking into her life and drawing her to himself. And the disciples come back. And in John 4, verse 27, they come back and it says, They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one asked him what he was doing. Right? And so, now here's the, the context, is that the disciples were, were blinded to the opportunity to minister to this woman in a way that Jesus was not because they were blinded by legalism. First of all, she's a woman. Second of all, she's a Samaritan woman. Third, she's kind of a little bit of a shady Samaritan woman. But he's talking with her because love was his motivator. Love was what compelled him. And then here's what he says to the disciples, though he, and he knows their thoughts and they're kind of shocked by this. He says, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. And then listen to the next word here. He says, look. Look. I tell you, lift your eyes. I.e., take the blinders off. Stop focusing on performance, what's right in front of you. Open your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. In other words, dear friend, there's opportunity every single day to love people in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. And just one more time, and then we'll move, we'll move on here kind of into, into the next section. But here's the point, is that if you do not see abundant opportunities before you every day to love, then perhaps, maybe, you are still looking through the lens of the law and not the lens of the gospel not the lens of what Christ has done for you. Because when you understand the gospel motivation for loving other people, again, always living in light of what Christ has done, um, there are endless opportunities and thousands of ways to express the love of Christ to people around you. Secondly, um, the second thing he kind of moves in here too is this idea that the nighttime is over. That the nighttime is over. He goes on in verse 11, and he after saying, you know, that love is the fulfilling of the law, he says, besides all this, you know the time. He's going to talk a lot about time here in different ways. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to you now, another reference to time, than when we'd first believed. The night is far gone. And the day is at hand. Okay, so what he's really pressing on here in, in this passage is one of the primary motivators for loving people and for living a righteous life, which he's going to roll into next right after this in the, in the following verses, is this motivator of time. Okay, and he, he, it's this idea of time. Again, he says time, hour, but what, what time does he have in mind? Well, he has a time in moving from nighttime to daytime. Um, Again, as, as Eric Lloyd said this morning and, and during the opening, dreary day, eat, would have been easy to sleep in, but you all got up. But here's the thing, is it, and why is it like this? I guess I suppose it's because of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden, that when you want to go to sleep, you can't. And when you're supposed to get up, you just want to sleep, right? 
Anybody else struggle with that? In heaven, it's going to be just good all, all the time. I don't know if we're going to take naps in heaven or not. Um, I, I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Um, but in heaven, whatever it is, it'll be good all the time. Uh, but we're, there's, a, there's a brokenness in us, both physically, but there's also a, broken in a, a brokenness in us spiritually in, regarding this idea of, of being awake. He says, the hour has come. Dear friends, it's time to wake up. And again, he's speaking to Christians. Dear brother, dear sister, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. I'm tempted to just keep saying that. <laughs> it's time to wake up. Um, and part of the motivation is here is because something also has already happened. I think in regards to time being a motivator, this is true. It's in the Bible. It's, it's somewhat the idea here, but it's not the only thing, is that one of the motivators regarding time and, and being awake is that there's something else coming. And that thing is obviously Christ's return. And so many times when the Bible speaks about it, it's like, hey, the Lord is at hand. He's coming, so make the most use of the time. Like, be ready. And that's absolutely true. The only thing I want to point out is it's not the only motivator that I think that he has in mind here. He's not only speaking about what's coming, but he's also speaking about what has already happened. And again, this is why I said one of the main ideas here is that the nighttime is over. That's what has happened. I love this little phrase, and I want to press into it a little bit here. In verse 12, where he says, the night is far gone, and the day is at hand. Now, because again, on the surface, let's press into this. What does this mean? The nighttime is far gone? Really? I look at the world, and it seems like there's a lot of nighttime, i.e., there's a lot of darkness, i.e., there's a lot of evil. Really, Paul? The nighttime is far gone? And the day is at hand. What, what do you mean by this? Well, this, it's a very interesting word, actually. This idea that the night is far gone. It's, uh, it, the, the name of the Greek word doesn't really matter, but it's prokopto. But it's not used a whole lot in the New Testament, but it's the idea of like hammering out on an anvil a piece of silver to where it gets, or silver or a piece of metal to where it gets thin. Has anybody ever watched the show Forged in Fire? Okay. And, you know, they're hammering these things out, and sometimes they get the blade too, too thin or whatever. And that's the idea, is that the, the nighttime, it's, it's growing thin. Why does he say this? Why has this hour come now that the nighttime is growing thin? Because 2,000 years ago, the light of the world came. In John chapter 1, the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. It literally is also the idea of, um, of passing from nighttime into morning. The sun begins to rise. You, you just see it begin to come up. But the night is still hanging on, but you know it's going to go. And, he, and you're like, man, Eric, that, it's been a 2,000-year dawning. Yes. Yes, it has. With the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. And we don't know how much longer it's going. It's been so far for us, roughly a 2,000-year dawn. But the darkness, it's far gone. It's, it's passing away. It's becoming thin. There's this great line in Lord of the Rings um, where Bilbo Baggins, this little hobbit who had 
stumbled upon years earlier the, the one ring of power, and it had like, you know, supernaturally kind of prolonged his life, and he's now over 100 years old, but it, it's only because he, he'd had this ring, and he didn't really know what he had anyway. But at the beginning of one of the Lord of the Rings, he's, he's talking to his dear friend Gandalf, and again, he's very old, life being prolonged by the ring, and he says, Gandalf, I feel thin, like too little butter spread over too much bread. And I love that imagery, but dear friends, hear me. That's how the night is. Yeah, it's still here, right? It's going to be here in some sense till Jesus comes back. But dear friends, because of the gospel, because of what Christ did, the night, it's, it's growing thin. And it's growing thinner by the day. And on one hand, yes, we look out and we look at what's going on in Israel and over the world and the nation's raging and what's going to happen next and who's going to invade who next. And we think that there's a lot of darkness and we see all the evil in the world and the wickedness and the sin. And on one hand, it seems overwhelming to us. But dear friends, this is the point is that we have the light of the gospel. We don't think about it in the same way that the world does. Just like last week, we talked about how we don't view the government in the same way the world does. We view them as under the ultimate authority. We view those authorities as under the ultimate authority, Jesus Christ, in the same way. Yes, on one level, it seems like the night is pressing in, but according to the Bible, it is far gone. It's growing thin, and it is not going to win the day. Amen? And here's the point. Let's act like it. Let's act like it. We are to have hope. We are to have joy. When darkness presses in, when it seems like evil is winning, we as Christians, the light of the world, we run to the darkness. And again, I'm not just saying this to like get us hyped up or to sound good, but dear friend, like we know this, don't we? Is that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony because we love not our lives even unto death. Because Jesus Christ passed through the darkness, into the grave, into the tomb for us, and he rose again victoriously. Just as we sang about in so many of those songs this morning. This is absolutely true. The darkness is growing thin. The mystery of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom has come without obliterating completely the present age. There has been a sense of fulfillment that the kingdom has come already because the king came and now the king ascended on high and he's seated at the Father's right hand, all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. He's poured out his spirit, yet he has not finally and completely and definitively obliterated the present age. There will be a day when he will. When he comes back to be glorified in his saints, Thessalonians says, when he comes back to be glorified in his saints, he at the same time is going to completely destroy his enemies and all the darkness of the world and of this age. But until that time, the mystery of the kingdom is that it is already and not yet. This is how we live. We are light in the midst of darkness. Jesus was light, come down into darkness. He did what he ultimately had to do what, that we could not do. And so we live like this, and so we even think about the darkness in a way that is different from a fearful world around us. And my friends, we, we have to be courageous. We have to be courageous in the way that we present the gospel, the way that we live our lives. 
again, I've, I've said this before, I feel like several times over the last couple months, but not just, not just hanging on for dear life to get raptured out of here, but going forward with gospel truth um, to bring about salvation for many, many people. Third, this idea of light as our armor. Love is a debt, the nighttime is over, and the light is our armor. So, end of verse 12, he says, the day is at hand, the night is far gone. So then, and he, he, so again, nighttime darkness, he, he begins to layer these metaphors. So then, cast off the works of darkness. Have you ever walked through the woods? I don't know what these things are. I literally was thinking about this this morning. Somebody t- if, tell me if there's a name for them. But you know, and here's the only description I've got, those little brown prickly balls that you get on you when you walk through the woods and stick to your clothes. What are they called? Briars. Briars. Chiggers? Did I hear chiggers? It's a southern thing. Hannah's from Georgia. They got them in Georgia too. But whatever, you know what I mean? Those, those little brown, and, and they just, and they, and they cling to you. Now hear me, theologically, let's, I know we're all on the same page here. There's darkness in us. We're born sinners. Jesus comes and he saves us for that. He forgives us of, of our sin. There, we still, though, have a flesh that is a part of that old kingdom, though we're also part of the new kingdom, though we know how it have the spirit in us. We've been, we've been born again. But there is darkness that wants to cling to us. And Paul says here, like, after you walk through the woods, it's like you pull, ah, man, these things are all over. And we cast it off. So the point just simply being that, yes, if you're in Christ Jesus, have you been forgiven of all your sins? Does does he accept you? Where once you were an enemy, but now he accepts you as his son or daughter, 100%. But that doesn't mean that we don't still have to cast off darkness. We have to be intentional about it, to remove it from us, get it away from us. He says, cast off the works of darkness, and then he says this, put on the armor of light. So here comes this other imagery. He'd been talking about night and day, light and darkness, but now he throws in this little word, armor. Who uses armor? People that are in a war. People that are in a battle. Why does he call it the armor of light? Because we're in a battle. We're in a war. And there's nothing worse than a soldier or a warrior who is sleepwalking, who is not fully awake, who is not alert, who doesn't understand that there is a very present darkness, and yes, it is thin, yes, it is passing away, but it still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have to be awake. We have to be ready. Here's the thing about the darkness, okay? is when I talk about darkness and evil, and again, he, he's going to get into some very specific things here in regards to what the darkness is that he has in mind, and I don't think it's by any stretch an exhaustive list. Orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. Okay, there in verse 13. Um, but here's what you have to understand about the darkness, is the darkness does not just blow you up like a landmine. It lulls you to sleep like Delilah did to Samson. You understand that? So again, what happens when the lights grow dim and things get dark? It's not that you're just going to explode in a moment. It's, it's that you just fall asleep. And we miss what Christ has for us. you remember the story of Samson? 
and Delilah. Judges chapter 16. Samson keeps toying with this immoral woman, just toying with her. And Samson likes riddles, and everything is a joke to Samson, and everything's kind of silly, and he's powerful and pretty arrogant and cocky. But finally, one day, I I love this phrase in Judges 16, verse 18. It says, when Delilah saw that he, Samson, had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money into her hands. And then verse 19, and she made him fall asleep on her knees. And while he was asleep, he got a haircut. And there went all his strength. So dear friends, this morning, the darkness, you might think you're safe because you haven't blown up. But is it lulling you to sleep? Please be on the lookout. And here's the darkness that we're to cast off. Again, he's he's mixing metaphors. Cast off, stay awake, don't fall asleep. Put on the armor of light. We're We're in a battle. Walk properly, verse 13, as in the daytime. And then he lists, he lists these things. You have drunkenness. Drunkenness isn't just alcohol. I mean, We are so drunk. We are so drunk as a culture. We are drunk on pleasure, comfort, ease, money, success, fame, our reputation. We are drunk. Drunkenness. There is sexual immorality. I'll tell you what. Sexual immorality has always been around. Obviously, pornography, immorality, very wicked. Please hear me this morning. It will 1,000% destroy your life. I mean, hang with me. There is absolutely hope in Jesus. (laughs) 1,000%. Get to that in just a second. But if you allow allow it to lull you to sleep like Delilah did to Samson, it will absolutely destroy your life. And just because you haven't blown up yet doesn't mean that you won't. Um. But sexual immorality has always been around. Again, you know, going to Turkey several weeks ago and being over there and seeing these, some of these old ruins, marble pillars and different things with different sculptures on them. Let me just say this, from the beginning of time since the fall, man has always been enamored with sexual immorality, both males and females. Um, And so there's nothing new under the sun Dear friends, it wants to destroy you. It wants to destroy you. And let me tell you, it's not an option. It is the only place to run is to Jesus Christ. The only place to run. Whether it's drunkenness, addiction to anything, sexual immorality, but then how about these last two? Quarreling and jealousy. Just like many people are addicted to alcohol or to different substances or to anything else, and some people are addicted to sex. Many people, I, 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 this is honestly the truth, but I don't know that we ever think about it this way. Many people are addicted to fighting. They're addicted to quarreling and to jealousy, which causes quarreling. Um, just very quickly, you don't have a ton of time to spend on this, but sometimes the homes that we grew up in, what we saw, 
constant quarreling, constant fighting, constant jealousy, constant strife. Again, for many of us, like, you, you, couldn't grow, you couldn't help where you grew up and what you, what you saw. But what happens is we suddenly become addicted to that. That's not part of the light. That's part of the darkness. And so it, it doesn't really matter this morning. Again, whenever we see lists, all of us naturally tend to put them in like, well, this is worse than this, or this is better. Well, this isn't quite as bad, and I struggle with these, but at least I don't struggle with these. That's not the point at all. It's all part of the darkness that wants to cling to us. Cast it off. Pick it off, throw it away. And, <coughs> and hear me, I do not care what the specific sinful vice is that you struggle with. Let me say something as clearly as I can. No matter what the specific sinful vice is that you struggle with, the answer is 100% one thing. It is a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You can try to get it through psychology. You can try to get it through counseling. You can try to get it through reading self-help books or understanding, you know, what your personality type is or your Enneagram number or blah, 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 blah. The only answer is a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you'll see this here. Notice what Paul says. Again, he's, he's unpacking what he meant. He says, but put on the armor of light. Then he gives those lists of sinful vices. Look at verse 14. But now he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not two different things. Well, do I put on light or do I put on Jesus? Yes, Jesus is the light. And, and let's just pause for a second because I want us to get this. I don't want this just to sound like good preacher talk. What does he mean? I mean, what a strange way of talking, right? Put, first of all, put on light. How do you do that? But then put on a person? Put on Jesus? Yes. It's a very strange way of talking on just a natural level, but the Bible talks this way frequently. Um, and here's the good news of the gospel. We actually touched on this idea of positional sanctification and, prog and progressive sanctification at the, at the first night of the men's retreat Friday evening while we were in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. But there are other places in Scripture where Paul especially will use this language of putting on Christ. One of them is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, in other words, if you believed in him, were baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, which you were, there's no other way to be saved. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now there, in verse 27, he says, you've put him on. Well, wait a minute, over here in Romans he's saying, I need to put him on. Which, which one is it? Yes. <laughs> This is the way the Bible talks. You have to understand the good news of the gospel. Positionally, at the moment of salvation, you put on Christ. You've been united with him. We've used this language throughout the book of Romans. You are in Christ. You are united with him. When he says here, this command in verse 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's saying is live in light of the fact that you are one with him. Live by faith in this reality. Again, several metaphors, mixed metaphors throughout this passage. When you are not living by faith, when you are not living by continual trust in the one who died for you and is your Lord and is your Savior, it's like you're walking in darkness. It's also like you are not clothed with your armor. It's also like you are living as if Christ were not near to you and as if you were distant and you're going to wander around in the dark going to look for him. 
But it's all by faith. Remember, all the way back in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the righteous live by faith from beginning to end, from first to last, from faith for faith, is literally how it reads. That we live by faith in Christ and we are not to be lulled asleep. And dear friends, this, this, is, this is the key. Again, I think you know this, but this is the way the Bible talks. And again, as we said at the beginning, like everything comes down to this. How this morning, right now, in this moment, is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Please hear me. What I'm not saying is, is that you better try harder. You better, go, you better go look for him. You better go be a good Christian so then you'll be near him. No, no, no. I'm saying the gospel says that you don't need to try harder in order to put him on. The gospel says just put him on and then you can live righteously. He has done everything that lives to be, needs to be done. But, but the Christian life is simply this. It is Jesus Christ. And again, it's a very strange way of talking, but Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. But think about the first part of that. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. Christianity is Jesus living his life in you. That's what it is. He's not... You know, I've heard me say the church isn't just a side hustle. Jesus isn't just a side hustle. He's not a shirt that we just go into our closet and like, oh, it's Sunday today. I think I'll put on my Jesus shirt and go to church. It's all day, every day, being clothed in him, letting him live his life through you. He's, he's as near to us by simple faith because of what he's done, because he's done it all. We have free access to the Father to come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need because he is as near to us as the shirt on your back. And we've been, we've been united with him. Dear friends, this is the only way to live. And it's when, it's when we live like this is true that looping back around to where we started, it's the only way we're able to love as God intends. The way that we love is by putting on Christ. And again, we love others because he first loved us. Worship team, you can come up. <coughs> and, uh, and we'll close here. Church, I'm convinced that Jesus has much work that he wants to do through our lives individually and also as a group. I'm also convinced, and I am not pointing the finger. I'm pointing it here first and foremost, I promise you that. But I'm also convinced that many times we're asleep. And we need to wake up. Every day is to live not just for Christ, but to allow Christ to live through us and in us. So just a couple questions as we close. Again, this is, it's just a review from what I've already talked about. But I want to ask you, have you been looking through the lens of the law rather than through the lens of love? I appreciated, uh, I forget which session it was, down at the men's retreat, but during one of them, both Mike Yoder and Paul Norker shared um, experiences in their past where they know that they missed opportunities. 
to love people that God had placed before him. And here's the thing, we've all done that, have we not? 100%. I know I have. But in those moments, the reason that we miss those opportunities to love the people that God has set before us is because we're not looking through the lens of love. We're looking and thinking through the lens of the law. Because Christ's love, when we look through that lens, when we have those eyes, when we lift our eyes like Jesus told the disciples and look to the fields that are ripe unto harvest, we see opportunity all over the place. And so if you've been doing that, just turn and trust. Just turn and trust. When I say turn and trust, it's the same thing as repent and believe. Just different words. Turn and trust. Not here to guilt us into anything as we, as we close today, but just turn and trust in what Christ has done. Ask him for those fresh eyes. Are you awake this morning? I would not doubt at all, and, and please hear me, I am saying this in love. What else would be my motivation? Not just for me saying it, but why does the Bible say it? The Bible says it because God loves you. My dear friend, if you are flirting with sexual immorality, with, with addiction, with, with vice, of, with quarreling and fighting, maybe you're not just flirting with it, maybe you're, you're addicted to it, please hear me, flee to Christ. Flee to Jesus Christ. A thriving relationship with Jesus Christ is absolutely your only hope, but man, is, it, is he awesome. <laughs> and he is Lord, he is more powerful than anything else. And if Delilah is trying to lull you to sleep, just, just don't let her. <laughs> Flee to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and in this moment, you are totally hopeless because you're like, Eric, yeah, like Delilah isn't just trying to lull me to sleep. I've been asleep for a while. She gave me a haircut. And now I feel like Samson where, and if you guys know the rest of the story, he ends up blind, his eyes gouged out and chained and in shackles as a slave for the enemy. Even if you find yourself in that place this morning, if you guys know how the story of Samson ends, there's a moment where though all this had happened, he calls upon the Lord in simple faith and repentance, and God answers. And I just want to let you know that if you feel bound this morning, if you feel like the darkness isn't just clinging to you a little bit, but that you're just covered in it, call upon the name of Christ. Amen? Call upon him right now where you sit. Father, thanks for today. We truly love you. And we thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing. Lord, please help us to love in a way that overcomes the darkness. And in such a way that Christ alone gets all the glory. In your name I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me. and We'll sing again.